This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Getting your Monday going with a cup of Crimson Tide here on the Built by Bama Online podcast. It is daybreak. I'm Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you three times per week here on Daybreak. This one on the heels of yet another busy weekend of sports action for the University of Alabama Athletic Department. We'll sort of span the Crimson Tide globe from the previous weekend. You certainly had action on the hardwoods. Uh, You kind of finished out last week with the Alabama women's team at the SEC Women's Tournament in Greenville, South Carolina. You had action on the Diamonds in Tuscaloosa over the weekend, both the Alabama baseball team and softball teams in action. Uh, in Tuscaloosa this weekend. So we'll get into some of that as well. We're certainly going to talk some football with you as we get you ready. It is officially spring practice week at UA. Couldn't come soon enough, right? Given the performance of the Alabama men's basketball team down the stretch, we'll touch on early enrollees and maybe some reasonable expectations for this Baker's Dozen that are going to make their practice debuts coming up on Friday over there at the Malmore Athletic Facility. So we'll have some football to talk about as well. You had gymnastics in the middle of it all over the weekend with a high-profile meet against those rival Georgia gym dogs and Dana Duckworth's team. Takes care of business at Coleman Coliseum. Another one of those sort of mid-197 scores. 197.450 for the Crimson Tide. Georgia, 196.050. So UA, nearly a full point and a half better than the age-old rivals from Athens, Georgia. UA in that meet really separated itself on the bars, winning by a full point plus over UGA in that rotation. So good stuff from Alabama Gymnastics as well. We've got to start, though, with Alabama men's hoops. Whether you want to or not, we got to do it. It is March, after all. So we got to talk some college basketball as we get things going here on daybreak. Alabama falls 0-2 week to end the regular season, and not exactly against opponents that will bring to mind, let's say, 1991 UNLV or maybe 1992 Duke. I don't think Vanderbilt or Missouri are going to elicit any sort of recollection of those type of teams, but so it was for Alabama in dropping those two tilts to fall to 16 and 15 now on the season. And the question becomes a team that was at least relevant, at least on the outer fringe of the NCAA tournament bubble, is this team now in when to get in mode in the uh, in the in the in the first game of its SEC tournament appearance against Tennessee to make it into the NIT, the game against Tennessee on Wednesday could be playing for Nate Oates' team where the NIT is concerned. But hard to kind of choose between a more disappointing performance for this team 
from the previous week because, as you know, Vanderbilt comes into Tuscaloosa 1-15 in the league, marches out with its first SEC road game in two full calendar years, uh, road wins in two full calendar years. Uh, and then you go to Missouri, and it's pretty much a struggle from the outset. And, and even with all that said, with 10-09 left in the game Saturday, Alabama's leading as bad as both of these teams have played. And that was really the sort of silver lining for Alabama in the first sort of three quarters of that game Saturday was that as poorly as Alabama played, Missouri was right there with Alabama. But the separator came really in terms of effort and the the willingness to make some plays, those 50-50 balls that you hear Nate Oates talk about, the hard hat type plays that you hear Nate Oates talk about. Those were as much on display in the final 10 minutes on Saturday as anything skill set related. Trust me. And, and you saw it for yourself, I'm sure, uh, if, if you were willing to sort of put yourself through that. But in being outscored 48-30 to 30 in the second half, Alabama down the stretch, after leading 37-34 with 10 to go, is outscored 35-13 to 13 over the final 10 minutes and change by a Missouri team that came into the game ranked 13th in the SEC in scoring. At 67 points per game, Missouri scores 35 points over the final 10 minutes. And you heard Nate Oates in his post-game press conference sort of reference the collapse that really started there about the midway point of the second half. And again, Alabama up three, uh, but then you see Missouri go on a 12-1 run and on a day in which UA just struggled to maintain possession and not foul, let alone score the basketball, that 12-1 run felt more like 25-0. And it should have because again, from that point forward, Missouri closed out the game plus 22 35 points in the final 10 minutes by one of the worst scoring teams in all of Power 5 hoops. Bench points, do we really want to talk about that? How about a 40-5 to advantage for Missouri in that regard? And there are some just fundamental qualifiers that go into losses for any team on any level. And I can go ahead and give you a stat line that will pretty much you don't need to really even watch the game if you just want to look at at box scores or stats – When you foul and turn the ball over more than you score buckets from the field, yet you're pretty much going to lose those games. And that was Alabama on Saturday. 21 fouls, 18 turnovers, 14 field goals. A formula for a loss, especially on a road, even against a very mediocre to subpar opponent. That's pretty much going to do it. And looking at this Alabama team specifically, Four of 25 from three-point range will pretty much do it as well. And we go back to 50-50s, hard hat plays. Missouri hammers Alabama on the backboard to the tune of 42-27. to 12-4, Missouri had the edge in second chance points as a result of that. Points off turnovers, Alabama actually was plus six, uh, despite having two more turnovers than Missouri, but so much of the load continues to be placed on Kyra Lewis Jr. and not his best day. I think we would all agree on that. I know we're sort of hot takeish in today's society, especially when it comes to 
sports results and Kyra can suddenly go from a potential SEC player of the year candidate, a fringe first round prospect for the 2020 NBA draft to, you know, not being much of a player. That certainly isn't the case. Kyra Lewis Jr. has been one of the few real bright spots from start to finish for this Alabama team. Has he always been great? No, but he has been far better than uh, some of the people around him, for sure, from wire to wire during this regular season. Kyra also, that sort of stat line we were just talking about uh, from a team perspective, Kyra, uh, six field goals made, seven turnovers in 40 minutes of action. So, again, not his best day, even with 18 points to his credit. You know, Jaden Shackelford, similar to the Vanderbilt game, a little bit of a slow start for him before he goes for 10 in the second half of his 13 points in the game. And that was pretty much it in terms of offensive production. You're talking about a team in Alabama that's averaged more than 80 points per game, held to a very paltry 50 points in the regular season finale at Missouri. So Alabama will go into the SEC tournament this week as the nine seed. A couple of potential home game, road game situations for Alabama anyway. Should it beat eight seed Tennessee on Wednesday? Uh, it would turn right around and face number one seed, Kentucky, uh, in what is, again, sort of the Big Blue Invitational, especially when this thing is played in nearby Nashville for that fan base. So road game essentially against home state Tennessee on Wednesday at noon, and then you'd turn around and face Kentucky in what would certainly be very much the same type of environment with that fan base from Lexington and beyond converging upon the Music City. So NIT chances, that's very much up in the air, it would seem. John Templeton does a nice job, sort of the Joe Lenardi of the NIT, the bracketologist for the NIT. You can find John Templeton at midmajormadness.com. He recently had UA as a three seed in the NIT, taking on Virginia Commonwealth in the first round. Now, that projection was made before Saturday's loss to uh, Missouri. So we'll have to see how this sort of works out here in the coming week, especially when you have to consider other conference tournaments, uh, other bubbles being popped, burst, other teams unexpected, unexpectedly perhaps making the NCAA tournament field. A lot to sort out beyond just the Southeastern Conference in the coming days. Sticking with hoops, the Alabama women's team, as we alluded to earlier in the podcast, uh, over there in Greenville, South Carolina last week, taking part in the women's tournament for the Southeastern Conference and a tough loss for Christy Curry's team, an opportunity for the Alabama ladies in that matchup with Georgia to go a long way in solidifying themselves as an NCAA tournament participant for the first time in 21 years That opportunity was in the hands of the Alabama women's team. Unfortunately, they come up short in a loss to Joni Taylor, head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. You might recall Joni Taylor, a former standout player for the Alabama Crimson Tide. So now it is wait and see mode for the Alabama women's team. Got to figure out what's going to happen in some of these conference tournaments that are going to continue on throughout this week. It's not just the Power Five leagues that concern you if you're Alabama at this point. You need some one bid, one to two bid leagues 
to go ahead, fringe two bid leagues, to go ahead and have their top teams go ahead and win those conference tournaments as well and keep some of those second teams in those mid-major leagues from eating up an extra bid in relation to Alabama's chances for the 2020 NCAA tournament on the ladies' side of things. So a tough spot to be in, sort of tournament purgatory. Certainly, uh, this team will be involved in the women's NIT if it isn't a part of the NCAA tournament field. But again, after uh, 20-plus years of not making the big dance, uh, there's still faint hope chances that that could still be the case, but not a position this team wanted to be in, again, with the opportunity it had to pretty much solidify its resume with a win over UGA. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. And as for the Alabama baseball and softball teams from over the weekend, both of those teams finished weekend series wins in strong, strong fashion after scoring just four total runs while splitting the first two contests of a three-game series with Lipscomb with a loss that snapped a 14-game win streak to open the season cheap among those contests. Alabama baseball got back on the winning track Sunday in a 14-2 hammering of the visiting Bisons. Weekend starting pitching continued to be a real positive for Brad Bohannon's club. Freshman lefties Connor Prelip and Antoine John dealing in wins on Friday and Sunday. Connor Prelip, Amazing. Just an incredible start for the newcomer out of Wisconsin uh, for this Alabama team to open the season. UA entered the series offensively, averaging a little more than four extra base hits per game, but had just one each in the Friday and Saturday games. Got back on track in that regard on Sunday, hammering out four doubles, including two from Brett Auerbach, or as I like to refer to him, Brett Baseball, because Auerbach can play just about any position on the field. He can hit leadoff. He can steal bags, hit for pop, produce runs. You also had a triple and another home run in that Sunday win for Alabama from freshman outfielder Owen Diodate, the Canadian who now has five bombs on the season. That has him also from an RBI perspective in a tie for the team lead with Tyler Gentry with 20 RBI and also in home runs with Sam Prater. Those two guys both have five home runs on the season. Next up for Alabama, it's at UAB on Tuesday. That's a 6 o'clock first pitch. That is a game that will be contested at the home of the Birmingham Barons, the outstanding double-A ballpark over in the ham, Regions Park, and that will proceed, of course. The Open to SEC play for Alabama baseball this weekend when Missouri visits the Joe. And fair or not, validation still awaits this Alabama team, even at 15-1, and even with all of the run production we've seen offensively, with the great weekend pitching we've seen to this point, especially from those aforementioned freshmen, you don't know how you look until you get your picture took 
and no other league will take your picture in college baseball like the SEC. So that starts on Friday. That's an evening first pitch, 6 o'clock Central, Missouri and Alabama crank up a three-game series. Meanwhile, Patrick Murphy's team over the weekend rebounded from a one to nothing loss to Arkansas in the Crimson Tide's 2020 SEC opener to run-rule the Razorbacks in the two games that followed, outscoring Arkansas in those contests by a combined total of 19-3. to Freshman Lexi Kilfoyle got the ball after Montana Fouts was the hard luck loser in game one, and Kilfoyle allowed just three earned runs over the 12 innings uh, that Saturday and Sunday's game games required. Uh, both those, again, run rule jobs on Saturday and Sunday. Reserve catcher Carla Heiss with the walk-off honors in the two wins, singling home game enders on both Saturday and Sunday. Alexis Mack, the Oregon transfer with a big weekend, uh, up near the top of the lineup, hitting primarily in that two-hole. Alexis Mack goes 6-for-10 in the series win over Arkansas. Three runs scored and a big bases-clearing triple in Sunday's win. KB Sides continues to do big things. 7-for-9 on the weekend for Sides. Three runs scored, three RBI. You got a spark in Saturday's win from Jenna Johnson, the freshman working as the top option in center field these days with Alyssa Brown out with that hand injury. Uh, Johnson comes through with a home run and a double in that Saturday game. And so with a record of 13-8 and eight overall and now 2-1 and one in league play, Alabama will briefly step out of SEC action this week to host the T-Town Showdown, which will bring BYU, Bryant, and third-ranked Texas to town starting Thursday at Road Stadium. The feature matchups for this weekend will be Alabama versus the number three Longhorns on Friday at 6 p.m. and then again on Sunday in a matinee affair at 1 o'clock. Going to get out of here on a Monday with some football talk for you here on the Built by Bama online podcast. It is daybreak. We do this three times per week here on the podcast. If you haven't already, give us a subscription, if you don't mind, to the Built by Bama online podcast. Maybe a rating and a review while you're there. That would certainly help us out. But again, spring practice getting underway on the University of Alabama campus on Friday. The one workout before spring break, the Crimson Title then return after the break, really delve headlong into 2020 spring practice, but certainly one of the major storylines, if not the major storyline for upcoming spring drills is going to involve those 13 early enrollees that Nick Saban and his staff welcomed on campus in January. Even a couple of those guys we saw in a couple of the uh, bowl practices before the Citrus Bowl and the matchup with the University of Michigan. But for the most part, Uh, It's going to be fresh faces out there at the Malmore Athletic Facility coming up at the end of the week. And the headliner, no doubt about it, Bryce Young, the five-star quarterback from Santa Ana, California, uh, the nation's top overall prospect, according to 247sports.com for the 2020 recruiting cycle. Bryce Young jumps into that quarterback situation along with Mac Jones, along with Talia Tonga-Vailoa, along with Paul Tyson. So a crowded room, a talented room, no doubt about that. An experienced room 
from the Mac Jones perspective, and that may be a little bit tougher to overcome for some of these younger guys than perhaps some folks are giving Mac credit for. He certainly validated his place as a prime contender to succeed to Atanga Vialoa behind center at UA, the SEC's top-rated returning passer as a matter of fact, in Mac Jones from the 2019 season. In those four starts, he had a quarterback rating similar to those of Joe Burrow and Tua tonga I mean, this is a guy in Mac Jones who we sort of anticipated a little bit of a dip in, say, yards per attempt once Tua went out. That was not the case. Tua still was in excess of 11 yards per pass attempt, Well, Mac Jones, in his opportunities, especially late in the season, he finished just a little bit south of 11 yards per pass attempt. That, again, is Joe Burrow in Tuatanga-Vailoa category. So whereas you're going to hear some of this game manager talk that always comes up with guys like Mac Jones and A.J. McCarron and Greg McElroy, what the numbers tell us from last season anyway is that this offense still has a chance to maintain its explosiveness with Mac Jones behind center. Now, you're not going to have the depth of playmakers to work with with any of these quarterbacks uh, that you had for the 2019 season, but still Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Miller Forrestall back at tight end, some emerging options out wide. Perhaps John Mechie emerges as one of those guys. That's going to benefit Mac Jones, but it's going to benefit Bryce Young, too, who shouldn't incur or endure much of a transition in terms of the pains that come with being a new guy in a situation. And if you've watched even a few of Bryce Young's clips from the high school level, you know this guy has the it factor. There is no question about that. So Bryce Young now, the expectations through the roof for him and some of the comparisons being made between himself and Tua Tagovailoa. When Tua entered the situation back in 2017, it's all going to culminate with a very fascinating 8A game. But before a limited audience, by the way, at Bryant-Denny Stadium on April the 18th. Now, as much as we'll talk about quarterback, I think the edge defender roles, and really linebacker in general, is going to be where my eyes are centrally located for much of these 15 practices coming up because, as I've written about on BamaOnline.com here in recent weeks, the returning production from a pass rush perspective at the outside linebacker position, I can't recall a time where the returning guys have as little production on their resumes as is the situation currently at the University of Alabama. So Will Anderson jumps into that mix. Chris Braswell jumps into that mix. Drew Drew Sanders jumps into that mix. You're talking about three five-star guys to go along with returnees. Keem Wakuta, Jerez Parks, Christopher Allen, Kevin Harris II, Ben Davis. These guys, these newcomers, more so than any other time in the Nick Saban era at Alabama at that spot have a chance to be as prominent in their first years on campus as any other group has been as newcomers since 2006. No doubt about that. So we'll see how it plays out more so as much as anything. Can these guys from a physicality standpoint in the run game hold up? Because guys like Will Anderson, Chris Braswell, Drew Sanders, much of their ranking 
comes on their potential and their documented production as pass rushers. Not so much in terms of edge setting ability and physicality at the point of attack on early downs. That's where those guys will have to likely prove themselves as much as anything. And then you talk about the inside linebacker positions with the expectation that Dylan Moses and perhaps Josh McMillan both coming off those ACL injuries not as uh, available you know, on an every rep basis in the spring. Demoy Kennedy with an opportunity there. Jackson Bratton with an opportunity there to go along with returnees Shane Lee and Christian Harris uh, and some veterans now and Jalen Moody and Ali Caho, perhaps Markel Benton. So a crowded inside linebacker room adds some nice talent in Demoy Kennedy and Jackson Bratton. Elsewhere with these early enrollees, how about the wide receiver spot? With those mid-rotation uh, slots up for grabs, you know Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell are going to be at the top of that rotation. But John Mechie, is he going to come along and perhaps be that third guy? What about Tyrell Shavers as a veteran? You've got Slade Bolden coming back, Xavier Williams. Uh, there are other options to be sure, but Treshawn Holden coming in here. Tyu Jones-Bell coming in this spring. Opportunities for newcomers certainly at the wide receiver position as well. You also need to look at that secondary. How about the secondary where Ronald Williams and Jacquez Robinson, Williams the junior college transfer. Nick Saban doesn't go JC on two for two guys especially. Maybe three for two guys. The expectation to come in and really impact the situation uh, isn't as great. But two for two, yeah, they're expecting those guys to come right in and at least be complimentary high in the rotation type guys. That's going to be what is expected of Ronald Williams coming in from Hutchinson Community College. Jacquez Robinson comes in from the prep level at Sandalwood High School down in Jacksonville, Florida. He's got that length. Both these guys are 6'1 plus, you know, 180 plus. Uh, and those are the critical factors from a physical perspective that we know Nick Saban looks for in those corners. So Seth McLaughlin, is going to join that, uh, has joined that offensive line room, projects as an interior guy, more of a developmental prospect who probably needs a little more time in the weight room. Technically, very impressive on tape as Seth McLaughlin comes from one of the very best prep programs out there in Buford High School. So you know in terms of uh, preparedness at, at the high school level, uh, McLaughlin has gotten that as much as any prospect you'll find, certainly when we're talking offensive line play. And then even in the backfield, a couple of newcomers at the running back position, even with Najee Harris coming back, uh, interested to see where Jason McClellan is, where Roydell Williams is in terms of their readiness at this level and the ability to compete with Brian Robinson um, and some of those other options that Alabama has at the running back position to go along with Najee Harris. And, you know, you still uh, have Kyle Edwards, another running back, coming in uh, this summer to join that running back room. But Roydell Williams, a four-star, Jace McClellan, a four-star, very close in terms of the rankings that you see with the 24-7 sports composite, uh, top 100 overall type players, a couple of guys that ranked among the top 10 running back prospects for the 2020 cycle in Jason McClellan and Roy Dell Williams. So that pretty much runs the gamut 
of the early enrollees. Yes, it's largely going to be about Bryce Young and his ability to jump into that competition with Mac Jones and how that impacts perhaps Talia Tonga Bailoa. Big picture wise, we'll have to sort of wait and see because Nick Saban has absolutely zero motivation to show his hand in terms of the quarterback picking order anytime before really game week for USC when we get to that point. Depth chart Monday on that Monday before the USC game really doesn't have a lot of motivation to sort of say exactly where he's at in that thought process. So that's going to do it for a Monday edition of Daybreak here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BOL, as always, thanking you for joining us here. You're going to want to keep it locked for continuing coverage because Hank South is going to keep you up to date. Tim Watts is going to keep you up to date on the fallout from Saturday's Junior Day, Underclassman Day, really. It's not just limited to juniors. We know that. Underclassmen in general, there's going to continue to be nuggets and items of interest on the recruiting front for sure. And you're going to have Charlie Potter, Kirk McNair, and myself out there on Friday. And we'll continue to update and preview spring drills coming up on Wednesday's edition of Daybreak. Until then, have a great rest of your Monday, everybody.